chapter 4 and while you're turning there and you can be seated thank you so much uh, I just want to say that it is a privilege to be here at Rock Hill Church I'm the pastor of New Life Church in Palmdale California and uh, you are a privileged church for so many reasons but your pastor and his wife are special people and they are not just friends in ministry uh, but they are also family I married his sister pastor Matt's sister and so uh, he's my brother-in-law uh, but I have so much respect for him if you are a brand new uh, if you're brand new to Rock Hill I would encourage you to come back and hear him uh, next week you will have uh, you will not regret it and uh, we're so thankful that they're taking some time away I hope that you as a church uh, are appreciative of the pastor who uh, is taking some family time and I hope you encourage him to take a few more weeks and uh, we are excited to hear uh, all that God is doing here at this church and uh, to be a part of this is just something special and I hope that you don't take it for granted. Uh, I know last week Pastor Matt talked about uh, the sun still, the, the standstill uh, prayer, the, the, the sun standstill prayer and the fact that God does great things uh, when we ask in faith. And today I want to go to a passage that, that you may or may not be familiar with, but it's the first century church uh, gathered uh, to pray in a very important time. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I want to read a few few of the verses, uh, starting in verse number 23, because it's going to talk about some of the apostles who had walked and talked with Jesus. Uh, they are coming into the company of the church, kind of like we're gathered here this morning, and they're telling them, we've just been arrested, we've been told not to speak the name of Jesus, and being let go from the magistrates, from the leaders, they went to their own company and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders said unto them. And when they heard that, their first response, verse 24, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. Thou hast made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. And then they continue to pray. And when they prayed in verse 31, the place was shaken and they, uh, that they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake, they spoke the word of God with Boldness. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Lord, I pray that you'd please help us to not just speak the word of God with boldness, but help us to pray with boldness. Help us to pray believing. Help us to be a praying church. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd please help families to pray together. I pray that you'd please help this uh, time that we've spent around your word uh, to lift our hearts in prayer and in praise to you more often. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever noticed in the Gospels how Jesus is de depicted in several different ways? He's depicted as someone who loves children, says, suffer the little children to come unto me. And, and he's depicted as, as someone who is incredibly loving and patient. Uh, but oftentimes we miss the version of Jesus that is in the temple in Luke 19. And he's driving out the, the money changers in the temple. He literally has a whip and he is driving them out. And sometimes it's kind of hard for us to look at Jesus and say, this is my loving, caring Jesus. The Jesus who, who cares so much that he would drive out the people who were cheating the widows and those who uh, were vulnerable. 
And, and, and a lot of times we look at that story and we think, well, good, Jesus is, you know, standing up for the people who, you know, can't stand up for themselves. And we miss the point of that story. It's recorded in all three, uh, three of the four Gospels. And, and in Luke 19, verse 45, it says that when he began to, began to cast out those money changers, those crooked people who were taking advantage of those who were the weakest among them, he says, my house is a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. You see, Jesus was making a point that I think we all need to look at this morning and kind of evaluate our own hearts and our own lives. He was making the point that there were people who were trying to meet a God-given need through their own resources. And I want to tell you, we all tend to do that. We all tend to live lives based on what we can see, touch, and feel instead of living lives based on who God is and what he says and his promises. And Jesus was saying, you are trying to steal what you want, what you're looking for, but I'm telling you, my house is to be a house of prayer. I can meet your needs if you come to me in prayer. You see, prayer is the breath of dependence on God as the acknowledgement of brokenness and weakness and need. And from the very first time that Jesus allowed the church to suffer and allowed the church to go through difficulty, their first response was to pray. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15, there's about 120 of them uh, gathered in the upper room. And, 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 and they're, uh, they're gathered in prayer and they're gathered in one accord. The word one accord is homothomadon. It's, it's this word that means together with one passion, to be uh, together in a spirit or a desire and in unity. And, and, they're, and they're gathered together in prayer. And constantly in the book of Acts, they're, uh, they're seen praying together. And in this passage, they're praying together with one accord. Literally one chord. Something that is singular. Something that is binding them together. I think a lot of times we look at prayer as something that we just kind of throw out there when we need something. Prayer is asking, but prayer is asking uh, with divine assistance attached to it. It's something far more than a lifeline. If you were drowning in a rapid uh, river and, and the current was sweeping you under, it would not be wrong for you to call out for help. And when you do that, there's something called a lifeline that's thrown out. I think we might have a video of, of a lifeline being thrown out to someone who is uh, in need. Prayer is absolutely a lifeline. But I want to tell you this morning that prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is something that you can throw out in time of need, and I hope that you do, but I will tell you that maybe, maybe you caught this, maybe you didn't. Prayer is so much more than just a lifeline. Prayer is being connected to the one that is holding everything together. You see, as that man threw that lifeline out, there was someone behind him. We might have a, a, a zoomed-in picture of it. There was someone behind him that was holding on to him. I want to tell you the hand that holds on to you in the moment where you are trying to help someone else, in the moment of weakness, in the moment of trial and difficulty, that is the moment of prayer. And instead of making prayer our last resort, let's make prayer our first response because prayer changes everything. And when we're connected to the one who holds everything, we know, we know the power that's behind 
the words that we're saying. They're not just words on a page. They're not just words coming out of our mouth. They are, they are the divine assistance. Prayer is not just something that God gave to us. He made us for prayer. And, and from the very first moments of the church's beginning, uh, we see that they gladly received the word of God in Acts 2.41. And, and they were added to the church. They, they, they were added to the church. They were baptized uh, after they received Christ as their Savior. By the way, that's the order, right? We receive Christ as our Savior. Then we're baptized. And then what were they doing right after that? They continued in the apostles' doctrine uh, and in fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. I'm telling you that, that I, I don't know a lot of you, but I will tell you something that I know Jesus' heart is for this place, and I know something about this church because I've been around it enough to know that this is a house of prayer. God has made this a place of prayer, and, 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 and this is the, the, the pattern that we see in the New Testament that when they prayed, there was great fear and great trembling and great wonders and great miracles happening in their midst because they're willing to pray. So one of my favorite illustrations of this is in Acts 12. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, Peter is in prison. And I don't know, Peter must have had a really, really rough day. I mean, any day you've been locked up in prison for preaching the gospel is a rough day, right? But he's in prison and he is locked between two guards. I don't know how big they were. I don't know if they'd taken a shower that day. But they were, they, he was locked up in between two of those men, chained to two other men, two Roman guards. And this is where we find him. He is sleeping between the guards. Now, I identify with this because... I am a very hard sleeper. Do, you, do we have any hard sleepers? I mean, you could literally sleep through an earthquake. I've done that before. Uh, you could sleep through anything. Here's Peter sleeping between the two soldiers, bound with two chains, uh, chains. And here's what the church is doing in verse 7. They were praying. They were praying together. The church in verse 5, without ceasing, the church of God prayed. And the result of that prayer was the angel of the Lord came. And I love this. The light shined in the prison, and the angel smote Peter. He was sleeping so hard, the angel couldn't even wake him up. I mean, the angel had to smite him. And then he walks out of the prison, his, his chains falling off. He's, he's in the moment of a miracle, all because the church decided, hey, we don't know what to do in this situation, so we're just going to pray. And so when we pray, God works. And incredible things happen. And so I'm going to give you three ways to pray. And these are just very simple. And, and, and we're just going to take a, a little bit of, of time to go over each, each and every one of these from Acts chapter 4. But I want you to see, number one, we should pray for sinners. We should pray for sinners. And you say, yeah, there's a lot of sinners, Pastor Peter. There's, there's just a lot of sinners. And I know some sinners. And I'm praying for some of these sinners. And, uh, and, and, and maybe you're sitting next to a sinner. Don't look at him. Uh, but maybe you're sitting next to a sinner and you're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, this person needs prayer. But I want to tell you, just, just, you know, there were many sinners they prayed for in Acts 4. But the first sinner to pray for is yourself. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to look around us and see everyone else's issues. But oftentimes in prayer, the greatest moment of transformation is when we say, God, it's me. It's me standing in the need for prayer. 
Uh, friends and family certainly need our prayers, our coworkers, our neighbors, our church family needs our prayers. But a lot of times the people we skip are the enemies of God. The people who mock our faith. Uh, the people who are, who are the antithesis of what we believe in or what we would think would be the, 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 the people that we would be close to. The people who get on our nerves. The people who cut you off in traffic need your prayers. And I will tell you this. That even our elected official needs our prayers. And that's what he says in the prayer that, that he prays. In, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 24, Luke is giving us this wonderful prayer. And it is a beautiful prayer, but it is a very relevant prayer. And he's praying the words of the Psalms. And if you're like, man, I'm new to prayer, and I don't really know what to pray, and I don't know how to pray, and I, I don't even, honestly, I don't, I don't feel like I'm a person of prayer, can I encourage you to go to the Psalms and just borrow some of King David's prayers? They're incredibly powerful, and that's what he does. He, he says, uh, man, Lord God made heaven and earth, and then verse 25, who by the mouth of the servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against Christ for a truth against the holy child Jesus from whom thou anointed both Herod, now he's praying for elected officials, uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, those were people that they didn't really have dealings with and the people of Israel were gathered together. But it was God that did everything behind the scenes. He's recognizing the sovereignty of God. And that's what David was recognizing, the fact that the rulers would take counsel against the Lord, David said. And so he said, let us break their bands asunder and cast away the cords from us. And he that sitteth in the heavens will laugh and, and, and will have them in derision. Listen, God's not surprised by how crazy the world is. God's not surprised by all of the things when you turn on the news and you're like, man, this is an upside down world. There's so much confusion and so much craziness. And I'm telling you, we can either complain about it or we can pray about it. Listen, I'm a really good complainer. I'm a really good armchair quarterback. But sometimes I forget to pray. And so when you see the darkness around you, when you see the frustration and, and, and the things that you just say, man, this is wrong and, and I can't believe this is happening, I'm telling you right now, we can either complain or we can pray and God's people are to be a people of prayer. A lot of times the world doesn't want what we have because they see us so disturbed by it that they think, well, your God isn't causing peace in you so why would I want what you have? And so to illustrate this, there's a lake in Latvia. And this lake, I think we might have a video to kind of show you. This is uh, where it's located in Latvia, right above Lithuania. But it's a still lake. It's actually called Still Lake in Latvia. And it's so still that it reflects the heavens. It reflects the sky. And, uh, and I'm just going to let it play. Let's play it one more time. It's an actual lake. This is the same lake. So you can see that it's but it's, it's just so still. And I love the fact, if you can play it one more time, that, that, that when, when you come to that dock, I mean, the, even the dog's like, can I go out there? I mean, is that, is that safe? When you look at it, you don't see what's below it. You don't see what's in it. You see what's above it. And I want to tell you right now that when people see you, they should not see the craziness of this world. They should not see the effects of this world. They should see what's above this world. They should see Jesus in you. And the only way that they can see Jesus in you, 
is for you to be still and know that he is God. In the moment of sinners like Herod and Pontius Pilate and people who, who were uh, mocking and, and, and persecuting them for their faith, they were still in prayer. And someone once said, if our lives were a lake, it would remain troubled and disturbed until we find our stillness and our peace in God. And so David said, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is our refuge, Selah. The word be still there, you may know this, it's the, it's the Hebrew word rafa, and it means literally to sink in. Have you ever had like a really comfortable couch or, or a beanbag and you just kind of sink into it, right? That's what that word means, and it talks about uh, to be so at peace in his presence that you have the courage to let go and wait and trust. Then he says Selah. This means to pause and to lift up and exalt and praise the one who has it all under control. And so I would encourage you this morning to be still and, and know that he is God, but allow others to see Christ's reflection in you. And so we pray for sinners. We pray for ourselves, and we're still and, and, and recognizing the fact that, that we cannot be troubled by what troubles the world because we have uh, a great high priest who is, is all-knowing and in control. So we pray for sinners. Number two, I want you to see, we pray with boldness. We pray with boldness. Verse 29, the Lord, the Lord is, is, is their stronghold here, but but, but they have to tell the Lord their problems. By the way, I will tell you, it's a lot easier to tell your neighbor and your friend than it is sometimes to go to God in prayer. Sometimes we go to God last with something we should go to him first about. And so they say, now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Like, do you hear what they're saying about us? And he says, behold their threatenings and grant thy servants. This is the first century church praying that with all boldness, they may speak thy word. He's talking about James, John, and Peter who, are, who were locked up, who were beaten, who were charged with not speaking the word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and, to, and the signs and wonders that may be done in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. When they prayed, I love this, look at this. When they prayed, the place was shaken and where they were assembled together, they, the, the Holy Ghost filled that place. It was, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Parousia, it's this Greek word literally for free speech. They would use this for freedom of speech. Parousia, and it, and it was talking about the confidence or the audaciousness uh, to be able to go beyond fear, uh, in spite of fear, and do the right thing. And I want to just confess to you today that in the name of Jesus, there is power and there is confidence to say anything in his name, in any circumstance, and allow him to change it in his good time. I was in college, and I showed up. Uh, I'd, I'd driven from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 37 hours and uh, uh, right, right near where Pastor Daniel's from. And, and man, showed up at college. I was so excited, but I didn't know hardly anyone. I knew like three people and, and, and three, three people. And, uh, and so I, I showed up and I got to my room and it was like this small, you know, like 12 by 12 room. And there were six guys in that room, three bunk beds 
And I could not believe it. I had this little corner for all of my stuff. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. And I thought, well, hopefully they're good roommates. You know, we, we can be tight. But I mean, you know, hopefully we're tight, you know. And so, and so they all get in there, and one guy had just gotten out of the Navy, and he couldn't stop cursing. And another guy, I mean, he was just really annoying, always playing the trumpet. And if they're watching today, you know who you are, right? So, and, and I remember being so frustrated that first year. And, and then the second year, it kind of got a little bit worse. And finally, I was like, hey, I, I, I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this dorm. I've got, it was like a converted house. You know, I got to get out of this. And so I was, you know, the Karen, right? I, I went to the, I went to the man, I went to our, our, our dorm, to, uh, the guy who's in charge of the dorms. And I said, I said, Hey, I got to have another dorm. And, and he's like, all right, we'll put you in another dorm. And I said, how many roommates are we going to have? He's like one. I'm like, perfect. One roommate. I can do that. And they put me in this little closet with the dorm supervisor. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I mean, if you're in the door, if you're, if you're in a small room with a dorm supervisor, you're not getting away with anything. And this guy was certifiably insane. Have you ever been around someone who was just crazy? And they knew it and everyone else knew it. And you're like, why is this guy in charge? Um, and, and so, I mean, literally one time he threw away everything that was in the dryer because I left it in the dryer too long. Like threw away all my clothes. Like that's how crazy this guy was, right? And so I, I was like, man, I am striking out. I'm in the third year. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to get married. And I got married my fourth year in college. And guess what? I had problems with that roommate, too. And I started realizing, well, wait a second. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe, maybe I've been running from all of my problems instead of embracing the, the trouble and the difficulty and saying, God, I believe you can do something great in spite of this problem. I want to tell you something that the first century church didn't do. They didn't ask God to remove all the problems. They asked God to give them boldness in spite of them. And I want to tell you that if we run from all of our trials and if we run from all the difficult people and if we run from all of our tough circumstances, we will always be running. But if we come to God and stand on his promises and believe that he can and he will, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, he will strengthen us. You see, he's the great high priest that passeth uh, into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Uh, let us hold fast to our profession then, for we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Well, then what's our response? Well, let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You see, God doesn't promise that he will change your circumstances. He promises that if you have boldness, he will change you, that he will give you the grace to be renewed in the midst of your trial. And so we pray for sinners. We pray for boldness. And finally, I want you to see, we pray believing. We pray believing. And verse 32, it says, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. And, and they started to give to one another, verse 32. And with great power, verse 33, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Can we say that last phrase together? And great grace was upon them all. Prayer sometimes will change our circumstances, but it always changes the one who's praying. You see, James 1, 
James, the first century pastor of the church of Jerusalem, said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, with the, driven with the wind and tossed. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat, a small boat in the ocean, but it, it gets tossed. Anyone get seasickness, right? It, it gets tossed to and fro. I think we might have a video of a small boat being tossed. I will tell you, that's a bad day. Tossed with the waves. At the will of the wave, you are being driven to and fro. In our culture today, we have lots of people who are just following the whims and the waves of culture. If culture says jump, they say how high. Many people are saying they believe what this book says, but they're living as if they are servants of culture. I want to tell you, this place is not a place that takes dictates from culture. This is a house of prayer. And a house of prayer is to be a place where we believe enough to pray. You know why most people, including myself, don't pray as much as they should? Because we don't believe that it actually works. And so when we pray believing, we're saying, God, I trust you, and I believe that you have my best intentions in mind, so much so that I am coming to you, and I am, I am pouring out my heart to you because I believe that you can change this. And if you can't change this, you can change my heart. And so I want to contrast this boat in the waves that's wavering, that's not believing, that's not confident and bold and courageous in faith and prayer. With a lighthouse in France, and you guys can play this, a lighthouse in France that's 157 feet tall, and here's a wave much larger than this 15-story lighthouse that's crashing into this lighthouse and completely enveloping it with water. But you see, the lighthouse, unlike the small boat, does not move. The lighthouse is not driven to and fro. The lighthouse is grounded in the bedrock underneath the waves. What prayer does is prayer anchors our soul to the unmovable bedrock of the promises of God. I would encourage you this week to pray in God's will that you will receive through grace what he has a plan before you were born, the, the, the will that will not change, the, the, the plan that he has for your life. It's a good plan. And, and, and because prayer is more than asking God for things, it is the key to genuine relationship with him. And true success in the Christian life is, is not just you reading his word and asking for things. It is you in relationship with him. You see, what the world needs to hear is the fact that a relationship with God is stable. A relationship with God brings peace. A relationship with God is the key to overcoming what the waves of this world want to topple and I will tell you that if you're here and you do not have that lasting relationship, he is offering it to you today. And if you do have that relationship, you've had a moment where you've received Christ like the first century church did. 
and, and, and you've, you've now been walking with him or you're, you're attempting to live a life of following him, I will tell you, be like the lighthouse, grounded on the promises of God, in the midst of the wind, in the midst of, of the difficult circumstances, ground yourself not to what other people say, not to what you think, not to what you predict might happen, but anchor yourself to what he says and who he is. Because God is a God that does not change. And God is a God who wants to hear from you. And he did everything he could, including sending his son to die on a cross and rise again on the third day because he, he desperately wants relationship with you. And if you forget everything else that we've talked about today, I want you to remember this, that God does everything he can to have a closer relationship to you. And the question is this, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to have close fellowship with him. Are, are we going to pray as a family? Are, are we going to pray as couples? Are we going to pray as a church? Are you going to ask someone, hey, how can I pray for you? One of the greatest ways that we can witness to people in our, in our workplace or, or, or to our neighbors is just to say, hey, how can I pray for you? You see, they're going to talk about what they did in Vegas. They're going to talk about all of the things they're proud of uh, in their world. But why can't you talk about who your God is? And why can't you uh, just go a little bit further and say, hey, how can I pray for you? You see, this is not to be a house of, of just our worries. This is to be a house of prayer. And bring your burdens to him. But let me say this. Don't just bring your burdens, but also bring your heart, bring your motives, bring your life and lay it down to him. And so as we close in prayer, I want to ask you to do one thing. I want to ask you, when I pray, I want to ask you to pray. And it doesn't have to be flowery words. You don't have to say it out loud. God can hear your heart. But I want you to pray, and I want you to, I want you to commit to God how you're going to pray this week. What's going to change? Listen, if nothing changes, we're wasting our time. Our house, this house, his house, is to be a house of prayer. So let's pray.